Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York, and today we have a special episode where I'll be speaking with Michael Spellfogel, the co-founder and CEO of Cardless, a credit card company established in 2019 that specializes in the co-brand credit card space. Cardless recently launched a new US card with the airline TAP Portugal, and also has partnerships with the airline LATAM, Simon Malls, Manchester United, and Liverpool FC. Michael, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Whereabouts are you today? I'm based in San Francisco, so our office is here uh, in the Bay Area, and I've lived out in California almost a decade now. Hard to believe. Excellent. All right. Well, we were both just in Vegas at Money 2020, and I was going to interview you there, but my flight got delayed. Things got super busy, so we couldn't make it happen. So it's great to finally speak to you. Um, How was Money 2020? It was amazing. I I mean, it's kind of like the Super Bowl of fintech. That's what I call it. At least uh, it felt like uh, there were as many people there as always. I heard attendance might have been down a little bit, but we had something like 50 meetings in three days. So it's very much running back and forth. And and for people who've been there, uh, you know, just navigating the casino floor at the Venetian is always uh, an an experience. So uh, I I enjoyed it, but uh, it got my steps in for sure. Excellent. Any key takeaways for you? I mean, obviously, that's a ton of meetings and it's all about connections, isn't it? Well, you know, we did a panel on Sunday afternoon. So um, I was sitting down with American Express, um, folks from Square and then Neon Money Club, which is another startup that Amex works with. Uh, And the topic du jour uh, of our conversation and also very topical this year was um, how to maintain uh, bank and regulated partnerships in uh, a very changing environment. So that felt like a a motif. Uh, You know, last year it felt like it was all about crypto and that has kind of been a, you know, bust and and boom. And and now, despite where the market is, there was a lot of hope and optimism uh, around innovative financial products, around embedded technology, uh, and certainly around, um, you know, very scrupulous regulators and how to best interact with them. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, and obviously now you're back in San Fran. I want to ask you, so money 2020, yes, but obviously... Um, last week or about two weeks ago, you launched the new card uh, with TAP Portugal. Congratulations on the launch. Um, Thank you. Uh, so TAP, Miles and Go, American Express card. How did that particular partnership with TAP Portugal come about? How's it going so far? Yeah, you know, travel uh, airlines in particular are a very important strategic focus for Cardless. We want to be the leading provider for uh, airlines, even particularly foreign airlines that have business in the U.S. uh, and want to build credit cards. They already have loyalty programs that are very successful, uh, even in the U.S. They already have credit cards in their home market. So we're just kind of connecting the dots here. Um, this partnership came about um, through American Express. Um, we got introduced um, with Amex uh, and, and with the airline uh, when they were in New York. Uh, I think it was the beginning of the year. Um, they were very motivated to make this deal happen. And the U.S. is very much a flagship market for them. So I believe they have seven destinations in the U.S., nine in North America, and continuing to grow coming out of the pandemic. So uh, it's a capstone to a lot of work they've done to really transform the airline. 
And there, I mean, millions of Americans visiting uh, Portugal as the hot destination uh, right Everyone now. Everyone is saying that. You yeah. know, uh, P- Portugal really is. Uh, I, I think it was a little bit uh, more off the beaten path for Americans 10 years ago. That's really changed. Uh, Lisbon's an amazing city, amazing hub for Tap Portugal. But uh, the beaches in the south are very popular in the summer. Uh, the wine country in the north. Uh, one of our uh, angel investors and advisors, uh, Brian Kelly, he founded the Point Sky, uh, where I used to work. He's actually a Portuguese citizen and um, dual, dual dual citizen, I should say. Well, I did not he's, know that. Uh, very, he's very uh, supportive of uh, of Portugal, so we worked with him on a lot of the content creation around launching this partnership, and that was a great time. Someone told I haven't been to Lisbon. Someone told me it's a bit like San Francisco. It feels that way. You know, our our slogan for our launch event a couple of weeks ago was "Enter the Miles Multiverse," and we had a picture of the famous bridge uh, crossing the harbor in Lisbon and then the Golden Gate Bridge uh, upside down in San Francisco. And it almost looked like a mirror image of it. So uh, a lot of people say that uh, Tap Portugal flies one of their longest routes from Lisbon to San Francisco. So I never have an excuse uh, not not to meet them in person, which is fun. Any, any um, you, you know, how's the, any indications on take up so far? I mean, it's early, obviously it's early days. We're, what, 10 days in now, and uh, it's been the most successful launch we've ever had, actually. So oh, um, wow. tap by passenger size, uh, relatively similar to LATAM, but we've gotten more customers uh, in the first week with Tap Portugal than the entire first month of uh, the first airline we launched. So uh, there's a lot of interest, uh, a lot of good activation already. Um, we've actually been struggling to meet the physical production load of the cards, which we've now uh-huh. uh, fixed, but um, a lot of exciting, a lot of in- interest early on in the product, which is great. What can we expect to see from a marketing perspective? What's a bit of perhaps a bit of insight into the strategy there? Yeah, um, you know, at launch, it was all about focusing on their frequent flyers, people that know the brand inside and out. Um, mm-hmm. They have tons of um, people that uh, travel back and forth between Europe and North America, and, and that was our number one focus. Um, going forward, we're going to broaden out the marketing approach a little bit. We're actually going to do a um, marketing advertising campaign in Times Square in New York City. Um, so that's going to be a flagship campaign launching around uh, holiday shopping season, so uh, a few weeks in November. Um, and then beyond that, uh, the TAP loyalty program, Miles & Go, it, it's pretty differentiated in that um, they have last seat availability on a lot of routes for economy and business redemptions. You can't get that in other programs. So we're really focusing on people that value uh, the ability and, and flexibility that that program provides. Excellent. That, that's exciting. I'll have to snap a pic if I'm in Times Square. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. All right. So let's uh, lots of exciting launch then. Um, so let's go back to the beginning though. What, uh, tell us a bit about your background. How did you actually come up with the idea for Cardless? Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good question. People ask me that all the time. So, um, you know, I started my career uh, in credit cards at the Point Sky. That was my first job. I was working for Brian Kelly. It was eight people in a WeWork, very early days. Um, they ended up selling the business to Red Ventures, uh, grew it exponentially. Uh, Chase launched the Sapphire Reserve through our site in 2016. I still remember the day. It was some point in August, and something just clicked. It was. Uh, you know, thousands of thousands of people were coming and applying and getting approved for this new credit card, mm. which was Chase's foray uh, competing with Amex, at least at the time. 
Um, and I didn't understand uh, what was happening, but I kind of understood why it was happening. Uh, there was a really big uh, pent up demand, particularly among millennials for a new innovative credit card. Uh, and it struck a chord. Um, so uh, learning off of that experience, I went to Visa um, and then I went to Lyft and uh, had that same insight. Um, you know, they actually tried launching a credit card around that time. It was 2018. Mm. They spent all this time and energy uh, building a credit card out with Synchrony Bank, uh, one of the largest co-brand issuers. And then we ended up scrapping that project uh, right before it was going to uh, launch. So you were involved in that? Yeah. So I, I was working at Lyft. I was actually a data scientist on the marketplace and mapping team. So if you were stuck in traffic in New York City in 2018 in a Lyft, it might have been my fault. Apologies <laughs> for that. But, um, you know, I had all these credit cards personally and that knowledge. So I kind of started to, to talk with this team that wanted to build a credit card. Our, our direct competitor, Uber, had done it a year earlier with mm. Barclays to much fanfare. Um, and that was really the direction the world was going in. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, Lyft IPO'd in early 2019, the project got scrapped. Uh, and I read this article in Bloomberg, which said that airlines make more money from their credit card programs than flying planes each year. Uh, and, you know, to much indignation, I thought, you know, if Delta is so successful at this, if retailers are so successful at this, why in the world could Lyft not make this work? Mm -hmm. um, and that was the foundational uh, insight for Cardless. How can we make it really quick and easy for brands like Lyft to launch and scale credit cards? Um, so we're uh, just over four years old. Uh, we launched the company in 2019. Uh, and our mission has been to help uh, connect brands and the customers they love with innovative and embedded financial products. So who do you see as your competitors? I get that question a lot. Um, on the surface, there are 13 banks that are competitors ostensibly, right? Uh, big banks like uh, JP Morgan Chase, um, smaller players like Synchrony, Bread Financial, First National Bank of Omaha. Um, but oftentimes when we go talk with the brand, we don't face any competition at all. Mm. Um, we've really carved out our own swim lane in this market because our product is quite differentiated. Our technology is unique. Uh, and our approach to partnership is much different than what a traditional bank is going to do. So, yeah. So how would you define that swim line then? Is it sort of back, uh, partners with portfolios of a certain size or is it by certain industry categories? There's really two different places we like to partner. The first is a brand that already has a loyalty program and their competitors have credit cards and they don't for some reason. Uh, Top Portugal is a great example of this. Mm. They have a, an award-winning loyalty program. They won a bunch of Freddie Awards last year. Um, and a lot of other airlines in the US are flying to the US that they compete against have credit cards and they don't. Um, so we can help them, we can fix that, we can build a very successful product around that. Um, and the second category is brands that already have credit cards and are dissatisfied with what the banks offer. Um, LATAM, our first airline, was in that camp. They actually had a credit card with U.S. Bank for many years before we won and took over that business. Uh, and our goal is to show that the technology we provide uh, to the brand and the product we offer to the customer um, is so much better than what a bank can do that um, it's more revenue generating for them, uh, of course, but uh, it's a better product experience as well for the customer. 
it's interesting. I, I'm, it's funny because I mentioned to a few folks at Money 2020 that I was going to be uh, interviewing you for the pod, and a few commented. They sort of said, "Oh, we don't. I don't know. We don't quite know how they're doing what they do." So I said, "I'd ask you. You know, so how how does your <laughs> revenue model work?" Yeah, I mean, we make money in in two ways. The first is what most credit card companies do. Um, they take a percentage of uh, interchange or the, the swipe fees in the credit cards and interest yield or when people, um, you know, choose to carry balances, um, there's economics in that for us. Um, and then the second way we make money is we monetize, uh, the platform we've built, the data, the programs generate the insight and connectivity. We provide brands to the end card holders. That's really valuable. And, um, you know, we, we can charge for that as well. Okay. All right. So, I mean, a lot of fintechs have been struggling with funding. I read you recently got a new line of credit. Um, yeah, I know, obviously, you've mentioned America Express and Amex Ventures invested in the business. So, how are you handling the current environment? And sort of as part of that question, sort of what's the long-term vision for Cardless? Yeah, I think the current environment is difficult, um, you know, for any business that's adjacent to uh, credit. Uh, interest rates is something that we think about a lot. Um, and when there's prolonged high interest rates, um, it's something that impacts businesses like ours and, and customers as well. Um, our number one goal is to make sure that we're able to provide the best products, the best experience and rates that are fair to our customers. Um, and through our partnership with um, ID, that was the credit uh, facility that uh, you, you referenced earlier, we've really been able to live up to that. So um, we closed a $75 million uh, credit facility uh, not too long ago, uh, earlier this summer. Um, we have an amazing relationship with Triple Point Capital on the uh, debt side. Um, we've worked really closely with them. Um, and Amex Ventures um, led our latest round, which was uh, last summer, uh, so about a year ago now. Um, mm. And they're uh, both strategic backers of us from a financial perspective, but also really important partners from a network uh, enablement perspective. And the combination of all three of those things lets us deliver the best customers, uh, the best product, uh, even in a, a very challenging macroeconomic environment. And do you, what would you do? What was your sort of vision for that, using that money um, in terms of, you know, get going forward? How will you spend it? Yeah, you know, our plan right now is, um, number one, uh, Traditional credit cards are broken. Our belief is that in five years, um, every big brand is going to serve credit cards, not through a bank's white labeled website or app, but through their own ecosystem. And, uh, you know, building out and maintaining the technology that enables uh, brands of the future to do that is our number one priority. So um, that is where our time and intention and, and focus is going to embedded credit card products that live within a partner brand's app or ecosystem. Um, and then number two, how can we uh, expand access to credit for people that um, you know might not otherwise get a credit card product or um, have a credit card product that works well with them? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just mean um, underwriting and interest rates, APRs that we charge the customer, but rewards that are unique and customized, uh, differentiated, and hopefully refreshing to the market too. Okay. Um, I mean, speaking of Amex, so you obviously you a partner, investor, you have a couple of cards on the Amex network. You've also got four cards on the MasterCard network. So how are you thinking about network as part of the value proposition? Um, is that something, how is that weighing into your thinking? 
our first and foremost goal is to support brands and their needs and uh, brands have different preferences and needs. So some want Amex cards, some want Visa cards, some want, want MasterCards. Um, and we have relationships with all three of those networks to make okay. sure that we can give brands the flexibility to choose what works best for their business. Okay. Um, you launched at least um, two rewards cards, if I'm correct, LATAM Airlines and Simon Moore's with no late fees. And that, that's a big question we're getting a lot at the moment about how you know the industry should respond to the CFPB's proposal to reduce late fees. So it's obviously a big issue. Um, so there's obviously a lot of interest seeing that you've launched cards with no late fees. How are, you, how are you making that work? How are you making sure that cardholders pay on time? You know, we charge uh, APR interest um, that we think is fair in market. Um, late, some products have late fees, others don't. And I think uh, the most important thing to go back to is putting the customer first, um, mm. not from a financial perspective solely, but um, putting our, uh, you know, pu- putting ourselves in their shoes, thinking empathetically about their own financial situation. And it's tough out there right now. Um, you know, despite uh, unemployment being really low um, with interest rates and cost of capital so high, uh, inflation, things like that put stresses on consumers in a lot of different places. So our number one goal is to support the end customer. Um, I think fees can play a role in that, um, lowering them or, or responding to what regulators want to do. But we're, we're very supportive of the direction of the CFPB. Um, I think they've taken stances that are supportive of customers and, and our goals as a business are aligned with that. I, I did notice the tap card does have late fees. Is that so? Is that a different just reflection of the different type of customer for versus say LATAM or how did that? Yeah, it it does, and and ultimately, um, you know, our company is moving in the direction of giving people the flexibility to choose an offering that works best for them. So on LATAM, we actually have two different credit cards: one with no annual fee, one with a, a ninety nine dollar annual fee. And, um, you know, we have people that are fans of both uh, for different reasons. Um, obviously, with a higher annual fee, it, it comes with more benefits and upgrade coupons and lounge passes and things like that. Yeah. Um, late fees, we think about in, in the same bucket. Uh, customers look at a credit card offering very holistically. And we think the value that we're providing to our customer and our tap card uh, is unquestionably worth it. So, um, you know, we're already seeing that resonate in the market. Excellent. So, I mean, I mentioned the Simon card there. I mean, this is a card that gives you cash back at, at shopping malls, Simon shopping malls uh, in the US. I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of recovery in shopping malls post-pandemic. You recently enhanced the value prop on that card, offering 5% back on every store at the Simon shopping malls. Uh, why did you make that change? We want the credit card value proposition to speak for itself. And I think the early feedback we got from that product was there was a bit of confusion around the value proposition. And, and we really want to respond to our uh, customers' feedback in real time. And this was a change that we were so proud of, so excited to do with Simon um, and, and their merchants. So um, Simon has 200 malls across the country. A lot of people uh, recognize their local mall, my, my local mall is the Stanford Shopping Center that, that Simon owns uh, a little bit south of San Francisco. And to get 5% off uh, cash back in every one of those stores, um, 
each each transaction it's it's really really powerful so yeah. we introduced some other levers that allow us to offer that cash back customers have to do five transactions per statement cycle um, we talked with the folks over at Built on their uh, credit card, and and that had worked really well for them. So, uh, you know, we wanted to deploy that as well, um, and we cap it at ten thousand dollars of spending per year, which is uh, you know more than ninety nine point nine percent of our customers have spent. We only have a handful that are reaching that level of on on retail purchases. So. Um, it's a really powerful lever. It's simple, uh, and it's available pretty, uh, universally because there's yeah. models in so many different communities across yeah. the country. It makes it a strong value prop for regular shoppers at, uh, at cyber malls. I mean, you, um, you, you did have some basketball cards on the market, uh, which mm-hmm. you're no longer offering, you know, what, why did you sort of pull those and, you know, so what are some of the challenges that you you're facing? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we want to f- uh, find and support products that um, customers really value. Um, we have we, we still actually serve those credit card customers, people that have that product historically, um, and we have some great customers across it. The ultimate challenge of that product in that space was getting the distribution um, to those customers at the top of the funnel. If you look at an airline like Latam, we're actually in the checkout flow, we're in the purchase path. Um, and those businesses are year round, they're not seasonal. So um, we learned a lot from those products. Um, everything we do today is better because of those learnings. Um, but ultimately our number one goal is to support uh, as many customers as possible. And our, our current suite of partners enables us to do that. All right, so uh, on the flip side then, where do you see the opportunities? You know, What are some of the co-brand segments that you think are, are untapped? I think uh, health and wellness is a big area. Um, you know, there have been a few plays in that space. That's really interesting to me. Um, and then I think really unique, uh, I call them long and narrow, uh, a homage to, uh, you know, long and narrow routes of uh, airliners. But uh, these credit cards that uh, really speak to a specific set of customers uh, and they're not kind of spray and pray done wide and large, but um, some unique benefit that people really resonate with. Those are kind of uh, areas of focus for us right now. Any uh, upcoming partnerships or launches in, in the works? We have a couple I can tease. So no Ooh. names for today, but uh, we're working on a third airline uh, credit card partnership, which should be up in Q1. Uh, this one is going to be a really interesting product. We're going to do an ultra premium card. We haven't oh, wow. gone to that part of the market before, so it is exciting. Uh, and then we're working on a really big uh, existing loyalty program, uh, building their credit card completely embedded in their app. Um, so the tech lift is a little bit larger, but um, it's something we'll have up early next year as well. Wow. So at least two launches in 2024. Hopefully many more, but two, two early in 2024 that were already uh, slated. Excellent. All right. Well, Michael, thank you. It's been a brilliant conversation. Really appreciate it. and wish you uh, and the Carders team the very best of luck. Yeah, it's good to connect, Andrew, and uh, I'm happy to be on the podcast. So thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Okay, so three key takeaways. Number one, demand for credit cards remains extremely high. And while credit card issuers continue to make a tremendous amount of money, banks and fintechs will seek out new opportunities to offer credit cards to new segments and reinvent credit cards for existing segments. These are the two areas of focus for Cardless. 
And number two, what Cardless has done is find a way to offer an increased speed to market. So down to three months instead of 12 to 24 months of launch a credit card at a time when the pace of innovation is accelerating and brands are looking to enhance their products more frequently. And finally, number three, Michael spoke about two new products launching in early 2024 with more to come next year. He mentioned specifically a potential for a premium product in the airline space. Uh, And we know that younger consumers in particular say they're willing to pay a higher fee for better rewards. So I'm intrigued to see what Cardless comes up with in this increasingly competitive space. Okay, well, thank you everyone for listening. This is the fourth in my series with fintech founders. You can catch up on my interviews with the founders of Built, Aspiration, and Ness on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a future episode, as I'm going to be doing more um, of these fintech founder interviews. The conversation doesn't end here. Head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to know more about Mintel, visit Mintel.com and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. Goodbye for now, and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Little Conversation. Thank you.